Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, a feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Hewlings Fund exists to provide training, introductions, and funding for working artists to turn working artists into thriving artists. I'm Daniel Degree, your host. Despite having 200% more education, less than one-third of working artists fully support themselves with their art. This gets solved with entrepreneurial education and opportunities to collaborate and organize. That's why, if you're a working artist, you need to join the Artist Federation. You can do this at the Artist Federation. Federation.com. There is no charge to register and exciting new opportunities are coming. Register and meet other working artists who are forming local chapters to influence their markets, to exchange business skills and professional support, and to determine their own professional destinies. It starts by creating an account and saying hello at theartistfederation.com. Our guest today is Holly Van Hart. Holly is a Silicon Valley-based artist of abstract nature paintings. Prior to becoming a full-time artist, she had a career in the tech industry. Her painting possibilities abound, won the California statewide painting competition in 2013, and she currently has a solo show at Stanford University entitled Alive with Possibilities. Holly is also a fellow in the Clark Hewlings Fund's 2017 Business Accelerator Program. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank you, Daniel. So, Holly, can you take a minute to tell us a little bit more in your own words about yourself and your work? Sure. So, uh, I paint abstracted nature paintings, and I am inspired by all the opportunities and possibilities we have in our lives. So, my nature paintings are, are, are always showing abundance because they're meant to uh, reflect the abundance that is all around us in our world if we just uh, go out and want to take advantage of it. So I like that you you mentioned abundance and sort of a theme, but let me ask you a question. So do you see yourself and your work as a brand? Is that abundance the brand? Is there another brand? Is there a brand behind Holly Van Hart? Oh, I don't know if I think of it like that. That's really just me, Daniel. That's kind of who I am. Uh, and that's what comes out in my work. So I think that's going to be my theme you know, things for life. I don't know if that sounds boring or not, but that's just who I am, and I don't see that changing. It will look different, you know, over the years, and it has looked different in the past, but the uh, the meaning behind it will uh, be along those lines. So tell us a little bit more about your solo show at Stanford. How's, how's that show going? Uh, great, thanks. I have uh, 11 paintings uh, that are exhibited at Stanford. They are even more abstracted than a lot of what you'll see on my website, uh, but they, the, the title is Alive with Possibilities, and the paintings are made with uh, acrylic paints, or mixed media acrylic paints, oil paints, and uh, silicon wafers. So I live in Silicon Valley. I find this a really exciting uh, place to be. There's so much creativity here, not just artistic, but uh, all sorts of creativity with new businesses and new apps and new companies uh, all the time. Uh, and so the silicon wafers in this work are meant to represent the creativity of uh, Silicon Valley specifically. So, uh, and, and the images are abstracted uh, nests and uh, ribbons, and they're meant to represent kind of all the ideas that are bubbling up around us here in Silicon Valley and in general in life. Now, this show is a pretty nice feather in your cap. Would you say this is your most compelling accomplishment uh, by far? Are there other things that you would list as your roster of delightful things you've achieved? Oh, 
Uh, I've had uh, three solo shows in the last three years, and I think they've all been important to me. So uh, the first one was a solo exhibition at the Triton Museum of Art in Santa Clara, California, which is here in Silicon Valley. And that was my first solo exhibition in a museum, so that was a really uh, big uh, big deal for me uh, then, still is. Um, the next one was at the University of California in San Francisco, uh, and now this this one at Stanford. So I would say those are three really uh, big ones in terms of solo shows so far in my career. And I've just been, uh, I can't reveal any of the details because they haven't been finalized yet, but I've just been invited to do a solo show at a gallery in the Los Angeles area in the spring, so I'm excited about that too. You know, our focus at the Clark Hewlings Fund is the business side of the working artist. So growing a viable and sustainable business. What challenges are you facing building a sustainable business practices or viability in the same way that other businesses have viability? Oh, man, uh, there are so many challenges with being a full-time professional artist. Uh it's a really, really hard career. I'm not, I would never say otherwise, but uh, but I love it, and I don't think I'll, you know, I'll do anything else. So, you know, I'm choosing to be here, and uh, and and I love it. But uh, the challenges abound. I think, uh, you know, as, a, as an artist, you are creating your own. A career in business, it's really kind of a blank slate that you get to write for yourself. And there are so many different avenues that you can go. So some of the ones that I've chosen are to sell my work through galleries, uh, through interior designers, uh, direct, and uh, I've done some licensing as well. And uh, with each of those, uh, you know, just starting up and getting to know the players and which ones would be a match for your work. And then getting their attention at a time when they're ready to take on a new artist. Those are all big challenges. And, you know, for each organization or person you might want to work with, it, you know, it might be some years between the time you first meet them and the time something happens. So then uh, there's the you know, nurturing of the relationship between those two times so that you can encourage things to happen. Yeah, but I think it is challenging. And then getting getting the feedback as you enter each of those areas that I mentioned, you know, getting the feedback on what's working well, what's not, what to do more of, less of, and, uh, you know, just always being open to new ideas uh, and ways of doing things. Well, let me, let me dig in a little deeper. So uh, I remember in uh, the show I like called News Night, you know, they were interviewing in the very first episode, they're interviewing him and he gives an answer and they say, oh, I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to dig in and, huh. and you got to give me a specific answer to that question. I'm not moving on. So I want to <laughs> dig in a little bit, Holly Van Hart, and, and just ask you, you know, so what are you saying? Are you saying that if, if we were being totally transparent here is... Would you say that the greatest challenge you're facing then is sales and exploiting sales channels? Because uh, it seemed like what you were describing, or are we talking about marketing, or is it, you know, like finance or, or legal, you know, issues or project management, or, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking for the concrete part that you face. Because yeah. people, you're not alone, yeah. you know, other people are right? <laughs> struggling with the same things. Right. So uh, for me, and I think that, I think the same is true for many artists, but for me, definitely, 
Uh, the challenges are in marketing, which is getting the word out there that I exist, that I make art, I make this type of art, and it's available for sale, and uh, to get that message in front of the right people so that they can, you know, see the art and have an opportunity to buy it if they want to. So just the marketing to a wide enough group of uh, collectors and the marketing to gallerists and interior designers, and that's that's a challenge. So there are you know millions of artists in the world. So, you know, so many great artists that you have to do something to get yourself noticed uh, above the noise of it all. So yeah, I would say that's really hard. I and mean, you put yourself out there, but it's not just that. You know, immediately people start beating down the doors, uh, sending you, uh, you know, their credit cards and uh, PayPal payments. Um, um, and so that also leads to sales. So if you know, through the marketing, you meet people who might want to buy your art or might want to represent your art in their galleries, but then there's actually uh, kind of, you know, getting the deal. So having somebody actually purchase it or, you know, decide to take some paintings or give you a show in in a gallery. Um, and that's that's hard too, but I would say maybe the marketing part is, is more of a challenge for me because once I meet the people, then usually I know what to do to get to the next step to take the, um, you know, potential opportunity into hopefully a real opportunity. So I, I guess I would say marketing. Well, I find it amazing that you said that, and I'm going to tease you a little bit, uh, first, because you deserve it, and second, because, you know, as I think we told the audience at the beginning, you're one of the fellows in the Accelerator program, which is the graduate program in entrepreneurial education that we run for working artists, and as you know, I'm educational director of that program, so you see a lot of me. I'm very often teaching classes Mm -hmm. and so on. So uh, for the audience's purposes, if I tease Holly a little bit right now it's all in good fun Uh, and here's what I would say Ali is you know it's funny you said that because I wrote down what you said you said you know the challenge for me is marketing and by marketing I mean that people know one I exist two I make art and three I make this kind of art and next to it in giant letters I wrote oh branding (laughs) because I asked you at the beginning Mm. do you see yourself and your work as a brand you said I don't know if I think about it that way and that yet this this calls it out that branding sounds like the thing you're really struggling with and I think you also answered that at the beginning which is you know I haven't yet reached the place where I've got to I don't want you to put words in your mouth because it's it's your show but it, it seems like you haven't yet reached the place where you can define the brand clearly enough that the audience also has it in their head already it's like oh yeah I know all about Holly Van Hart I can tell you about her art and wouldn't that be the thing you that equals what you described? They would know you exist. They would know you make art. And they would know you for a specific type of art. Uh, and so I love it. I think you just kind of gave us all a little mini lesson in branding. And, I'm, and again, I'm being playful about it. But I want to I want to pivot off of that, uh, and I want to I can hear you kind of giggling there. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but I want to pivot off of that and, and ask you. You know, you've worked though in the tech world, and so if we take it outside the world of art, because you know a lot of people just don't they don't associate the same things. Any other business, they're like, oh, you got to have branding, but you you leave you go into the art world and suddenly it sort of shuts off. But you you have an advantage. You've worked in the tech world, and you're familiar with how. Tra- traditional business practices really work. Uh, So let me ask you this. In your experience, have you found that art businesses, meaning an an artist and their individual practice, I don't mean a a supply store or something like that, I mean you, 
can an art business apply things that can be learned from that larger business world or from at least the world that you worked in? Uh, yes, uh, definitely. And I want to speak to that. And I also want to tell you a little story that something that just happened yesterday about branding. That was, that was kind of fun. So why don't I start with that on the branding and then I'll go into details on, on the question you just asked uh, about the tech world's uh, teachings. Um, so just uh, just yesterday, uh, I was at a, a local event here in Silicon Valley, and uh, somebody that I had met once who had been to my open studio said, oh, hey, Holly, uh, I was just at the Ritz-Carlton at Lake Tahoe, and I was sitting down at the restaurant and e eating a meal, and I looked at a painting, and I said, that painting looks just like one that Holly Van Hart would do. And so I had to get up from my meal and I walked over there and sure enough, it was yours. So I've had my paintings in uh, these uh, rotating exhibitions at the Ritz-Carlton for a couple of years now through an awesome uh, gallery called Slate Contemporary. And the paintings rotate out every few months. Uh, and uh, given the area I live in and everyone likes to go to Lake Tahoe to ski, uh, there are a lot of people who see my work there and they're like, oh, I saw it down the hall and I knew it was yours. Uh, so I hear that a lot. And every time I hear that, I feel really good. I feel like, oh, I'm getting to the right place in terms of branding and you know, people seeing my art and knowing that it's mine. So that just happened yesterday. I thought that was cool. That is cool. Yeah, so that was fun. Um, okay, so teaching from uh, the tech world and translating that into art, uh, I would say I learned a lot in the tech world, and I probably use some of those skills you know, every single day, many times per day, uh, anything I have to do, anything uh, business-related uh, with my art, everything from just kind of like the discipline of keeping uh, good records good records on inventory and financials and that sort of thing. The, uh, I had sales experience in the tech world, so uh, the ability to go out there and uh, get to know who your you know, uh, potential buyers or gallerists might be and then having conversations with them. So I had lots of experience with that from the tech world. Uh, also being in sales, you just get very used to hearing a lot of knows before you hear a yes and uh, I learned how to just roll with that and if somebody you know doesn't like me or doesn't like my art and they say no well that's fine then I you know and I move on to somebody else who might be a better match learn uh, learn not to take it personally so it's just kind of these uh, these business skills uh, I think uh, I learned a lot from my previous role uh, my previous role was uh, business to business, not business to consumer, uh, which is mostly what I'm in now. So uh, that is a big difference, and I've had to learn a lot in that space. Uh, and of course, I've just had to learn a lot about you know the art world and uh, you know what it takes to sell art. It's different from what it takes to sell hardware and software and services. Uh, so yeah, it it's, it comes in tremendously uh, helpful every day. But it's interesting. You know, part of what you talked about was, you know, keeping good records. And, you know, of course, I've worked in the tech world, too. I know in a B2B environment, I know exactly what you're talking about. You, you kind of track everything. Right. 
And yet this implies kind of a level of accountability in a business that I think a lot of working artists maybe, you know, say that you don't really have or think that you don't really have. But if a business is answerable to its stockholders, my question, Holly, is who does an artist answer to? Who are the the stakeholders or investors uh, in an individual's art practice? Are there none? I would say the stakeholders are the the people in the companies who represent your art, so the gallerists and the designers uh, and other the people who license my art. Those are stakeholders. Uh, the collectors are stakeholders as well. Uh, and of course, you know, I'm a stakeholder, uh, so I have to hold myself accountable, and I'm happy to do that. And I think a lot of that comes from the comfort of having uh, done this for many years in the tech world. Uh, you are given some goals, some numbers, and you have to meet them. And usually if you're given a goal, uh, you uh, might gulp really hard because it's so huge. It might feel insurmountable, but you just, you know that you have to figure it out. So uh, I have set myself some goals and I hold myself accountable and those goals, and uh, I realized that to do the, you know, to get where I want to be, I have to knock on a lot of the right doors to get enough yeses to get to those goals. So I feel like as long as I keep taking action in that way and enough of it, uh, you know, in the right way, then uh, then I can get there. You know, it, you know, it's interesting to to listen because uh, you know, I, I, first I completely agree. You're the first you know, stakeholder, the first investor in your business. And I, I think that's really useful for somebody to, to, uh, to point out. Uh, so thank you for that. And, and then of course, you know, I think you pointed out something that I think it comes from classic business thought, but which is that, um, the customers, or in this case, the collectors are also stakeholders in the business. You know, I think we have a, a lots of examples in the news right now of companies that have forgotten that and are in trouble <laughs> because the stakeholders are not on board. The, the people, the customers are not in, in agreement with them about what they're doing. But, uh, and, and it's interesting that you talk about it pri- uh, also partly because you're doing a project um, in the midst of your uh, your graduate study with us and you know that project has kind of it has to have a plan with metrics in it that, you know or things that are measurable and uh, and you do field reports uh, very much like you would do if somebody gave you a you know a big public commission or something you you keep us updated on the the progress of that plan etc um, and and so as I hear you talk about stakeholders, I think you know again not wanting to put words in your mouth, but you certainly seem to be underscoring um, a relationship between the artist as business person and the artist as really running a business and really traditional business. You know they're accountable; they have have to produce measurable uh, results, or they don't go forward as a business. They have a, a client base to. To please, um, so it, I guess it's refreshing to hear you say that. It's the reason I'm harping on it because you, you know we can count on one hand the number of artists uh, we meet very often just walking around out in public that that seem to get that. You know, you know the uh, so there's the artist part of me that you know loves to be in my studio and and paint for hours and days at a time. Then there's the business part of me, and when I switch between the two. It takes a while. It's it's not an immediate switch, but I get really focused on the art, and then I need 
some transition time, and then I can get really focused on the business. They're two different, uh, two different parts. But I feel like, you know, if you're doing your art as a hobby, which is just fine, and I did that for many years, and I love that too. If you're doing your art as a hobby, then you just keep making art, and if it sells, great, and if it doesn't, you know, no worries. But if it's your profession, you need to have a plan. But it's almost like I think you're getting the unofficial two two hats award because you're talking about switching hats. I almost wish uh, artists would have those kind of two hats you're you're describing. You know, the business hat and the the creative hat because uh, you're kind of underscoring that you do have to intentionally switch gears and it's not immediate. You have to kind of think about uh, the business deliberately. Otherwise, you could just stay and and paint all day and and not have any customers lining up. Um, so that that's a, a profound insight, I think. I want to ask you about another thing, though, that you because you talked about sales channels and you you mentioned marketing. We talked about branding, but you you also talked about the need to develop one on one relationships with people and create avenues for for actually selling the work. Um, so, do artists you think have more options than traditional companies uh, for what they sell? You know, whether it's Paintings, prints, classes, T-shirts. Um, do, do you see this? Do you see an advantage to being a visual artist versus being in a traditional type of business, or is it roughly the same? Oh, part of me thinks it's roughly the same. That you know, kind of the sky's the limit. Whether you're selling computers or you know, fashion designer selling clothing or a visual artist, a visual fine artist. I think there are just lots and lots of options. Um, yeah, so either way, whether in one of those types of businesses or in a fine arts business uh, representing yourself, um, yeah, there, there are so many options, and that's part of the opportunity and part of the challenge because you can get distracted going down some path that, well, gee, that didn't really yield very much, and then, uh, you know, then needing to go down a different path and you're just finding the right combination for, for you personally, you know, what suits you, what suits your lifestyle and for your art. Yeah, it's, it's a big challenge. But I, help me understand something, Holly. I, I never have understood why big business thinks one way about this and uh, solo business, like very often a working artist, thinks a completely opposite way. I mean, you're describing it as roughly the same thing, but, you know, if, if you were um, a car manufacturer, uh, if, you were, um, if you're Chevy, you delight in the fact that uh, you've got a line of Chevy jackets and hats out there uh, and Chevy personalized Nikes. You know, you've got swag. Uh, you you rely on that swag to make some money and uh, you look for licensing opportunities and you don't sort of think that diminishes your brand as Chevy, but you think it kind of extends it. But correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I hear a lot of working artists sort of say, well, I want to make all of my money from my art, but they seem to be meaning they want to make it all from the act of creating the art, like the painting, but that somehow if you make money out of museum swag and you make money out of licensing opportunities for your art, it's not the same thing. Or, you know, even prints afterwards kind of can get a dirty name. Well, you sell a lot of prints, you know. And having worked in big business and now working in small business, do you think that's misguided or do you think there's something there that we're missing? Yeah, I, I think that's misguided. So, you know, if, if I could make the living that I want to make just 
selling, uh, you know, original art alone uh, through one channel, um, you know, maybe I would do that. But, uh, you know, life isn't like that. And uh, I think you need multiple channels. And, uh, you know, I, I love making my original work more than I love maybe uh, taking the steps needed to sell prints or uh, other uh, other ways of getting my images out there in the world. But I, I I hear you, and I know that a lot of the art world thinks exactly what you just said, Daniel. I, I don't think that, because I think that to get your work out there in a broader way through print is is good for everybody, because it gets, uh, gets your name known uh, to a wider audience, uh, and maybe some of those, that audience will one day uh, decide to go with original paintings, you know, maybe they never will, but it does get your name out there in a, in a wider way. And I think that's good for the artist. I think it's good for, uh, you know, everybody who might be selling that artist's work. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly that original paintings, whoever buys original paintings, pretty much they don't want to buy prints. And whoever buys prints pretty much doesn't really want to invest, doesn't want or doesn't have the option to invest such big dollars into original art. So I feel like it's two very different markets. You're not cutting anybody out from, you know, selling original paintings. You're not harming yourself. You're not harming your gallerist. It's just, uh, it's just all goodness. And, and it helps, you know, an artist from a business perspective, which means it helps the artist, uh, you know, just help the artist uh, survive and hopefully thrive. So that's, that's my take on it. You know, it's it's funny you should uh, kind of draw that distinction uh, that, you know, a lot of people that buy prints maybe don't want the originals. Uh, of course, I, I shifted. I got started buying prints, and then I shifted completely to originals, and I thought I would never buy anything but originals, and then I saw things where I couldn't afford the originals, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, or the original's been sold. I want that mm, painting, that mm-hmm. one, and I can't get it. So, all right, fine. I'm still going to have the print. You know, we've done, gone down that yeah. path. But, you know, as you know, CHF, um, the Clark Healings Fund, does a lot of sort of boots on the ground education and uh, as well as virtual and digital education. One of the things we did recently was a, a big event in Denver, um, and we dived pretty deeply into um, the market statistics and the nature of the market and what does it say about, you know, what people are buying now and how they've changed their buying habits. And one, one fact really stood out to me, and I was reminded of it as you talked, uh, which is that um, millennials increasingly are buying prints, not uh, even when they can afford the originals, not because they don't like original art, um, but because millennials increasingly are valuing mobility and travel, the ability to slap on a backpack and go to China for nine months, you know, and live over there or something, versus having a lot of physical things that they have to protect and store properly that weigh them down. And so maybe they'll change their tune when they're 30 and pushing a stroller. But for now, they want to buy prints. So if you insist only on buy, selling originals, you kind of lock out a good chunk of the millennial market. You're sort of saying, I don't want to sell to them. them. Uh, so I find I, I hadn't thought of that quite that way until you pointed, you gave us that theory. Yeah. Uh, yep, it, ex- it helps expand the market, and you're, you're right, maybe those millennials one day will own a house and will want the originals, and then they'll know your name. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a great place to be. Do you see the market, the art market evolving and developing in other ways? What, what have you observed? 
Hmm. You know what? What I've read, and uh, with some reports that have come out um, that study in great detail the art market, what I've read is that more and more uh, original art purchases are happening online, uh, and uh, that's truer of uh, lower priced originals than it is of higher priced originals. But uh, to a pretty significant degree, more is happening online. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's my experience. I think I'm meeting through uh, through social media and other places. I'm meeting prospective collectors and other folks online, um, but it's not so much uh, that I that people say, "Oh, I just stumbled across Holly Van Hart's website, and here's a painting." For five thousand dollars, and I'm going to buy it right now. It, that that hasn't happened that way uh, with me, um, but I am meeting more uh, prospective collectors and gallerists and others that way. That are eventually, after some time, uh, turning into uh, good things. Yeah, you know that that kind of supports what I'm seeing too. I mean, we're seeing in the Hiscox report, which comes out uh, every year. I think uh, we're seeing. Uh, a lot of shifts, including, you know, Sotheby's, a good chunk of their auction market is now moving online into digital. So we're talking about usually pretty high-end stuff. It's not so common yet that every artist out there is saying, oh, I just sold a $10,000 painting, you know, uh, on Etsy. Yeah, that's not really uh, all that common. It does happen. I've seen bigger stuff going on Etsy for more than that. But it's still, a, it's still a drop in the bucket compared to where they, at least, where Hiscox and some of the other uh, people doing research on this think it will. Uh, and, of course, you know, everything seems to be pointing to the rise of digital. You know, millennials seem to be showing that um, they find their first art online. This is how they go and talk to people about it and learn what they like and so on. And very often that results in a sale. But let's switch over then and talk a little bit about... Uh, marketing and sales. So, you know, you referred earlier about, to marketing being probably the biggest challenge, but I, I've come to know you as one of the fellows in our, our graduate program, and you're a planner. You're a person that puts together pretty, I, I would say, highly developed uh, tracking and plans. You're systematic. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Holly, but that's my perception. Do you have a marketing plan? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I, I have a plan that has to do with approaching those uh, sales avenues I mentioned earlier, you know, collectors directly, gallerists, interior designers, and licensing. Um, and I have uh, an idea of how much I would like to be doing to each of those channels and, uh, and the ways to reach people in those places that could, uh, could make some decisions in my favor. You know, very rarely in art business and probably in life does everything work according to the plan. So I have a plan and uh, I just uh, keep a sharp eye out for what seems to be working well and what doesn't and so I can shift uh, as needed from one thing to another or come up with something new. So I have a plan, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much accountable with that plan just to myself uh, at the moment. Uh, but I do feel like I am accountable. So, uh, you know, I have it written down, you know, every month and sometimes, you know, multiple times a month. I'm looking at, you know, what needs to be to, what, what needs to be done to advance the plan. I, I change that. I would say pretty much every day I think about, okay, what is the next step to get 
to this place that I want to be. I would say I think about that every day, try to take some action against that. Wow, there are uh, several sort of avenues I want to ask you about. I think the audience knows this show is unscripted and you've triggered a lot of sort of interest points there because um, you've talked about you're sort of accountable to yourself and it, it makes me want to ask about the value of mutual accountability and collaboration because uh, I know you're delving into that and you know I want to uh, explore with you the nexus of, of sort of marketing and sales and, and a couple of other things. So let me ask you that one first. Um, you know, part of what you're doing as a fellow is a lot of, you know, group and teamwork. And uh, the team kind of, you, you stand or fall individually, but you support each other together. Have you found that uh, developing uh, accountability in other areas uh, related to your professional practice, accountability or collaboration with others has been pivotal? And if, if so, um, do you have any kind of plans to extend that? Well, the uh, yes. I, so I think it's really important to always stay connected with all the people in the art world who you want to be working with, but in this uh, case, uh, with other artists who are on similar tracks to what you know I might be on, and uh, to to stay connected with them, you know, learn from each other. Uh, so with multiple artists, I'll do uh, you know calls, sometimes regularly scheduled, sometimes ad hoc, uh, to kind of trade ideas and maybe referrals, uh, people that I know that they would like to know and vice versa. Um, you know, best practices, this worked for me, this didn't work for uh, me, and, you know, just sharing some of the specifics so I can learn from them uh, things that are beyond what that you could just read in a book or, you know, read in a blog post. So, you know, just real life uh, examples of what's working, you know, today for individual artists who are, you know, on some track that's similar to mine. So I think that's really, uh, really critical. And through the uh, the Clark Ewing's Funds Accelerator Program, I've met, you know, 20 artists around the uh, the country uh, who have, uh, you know, enriched my thinking, uh, you know, immeasurably as well as the Clark Ewing's Fund team. Uh, it just I've learned a lot from from everybody, so that has been a really amazing opportunity. Uh, yeah, I've met artists uh, who I probably never would have bumped into at a show. You know, artists in Hawaii or you know New Mexico and other parts of the the country. So yeah, staying connected is important. Uh, staying accountable is important too. I I have yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at staying accountable to myself and doing what I say I'm going to do. Uh, I slip up just like everybody else does in that regard. So I should probably have a, a stronger mechanism in place for an accountability partner um, just to keep myself, you know, totally honest on what the things I've, you know, what I really have uh, done compared to what I was setting out to do. Yeah, I think that's just critical to, to keep these connections and, and keep learning from other people around us. Well, you did kind of call out also the importance of writing it down, uh, and I I think that's impressive. I mean, because it may, you know, somebody might be going, well, writing it down, come on, you know, but it is impressive to me because I can't tell you how many artists we meet who don't write it down. They don't write down their intentions for marketing, their goals. They don't write down the steps or milestones it's going to take to get there. 
and or they write it down once and that stays in that notebook at the bottom of your closet and it, and it doesn't it doesn't get revisited and updated and you're saying you not only write it down but you go back to it and you update it and you think about it um, to me that seems uh, like the first step you, you talked about you're the first stakeholder uh, in your business it sounds like you're at a minimum you're an integrity to yourself you're being accountable to yourself and so anything you kind of do collaboration wise kind of seems to me like it comes out of that. Yes. So the collaboration mostly is just giving me like great ideas and then sometimes uh, referrals uh, that I can, you know, add to my mix of just mix of tools in my toolbox and how to get where I want to go. So I just get these amazing ideas from uh, collaborating with other artists. Well, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, I sort of asked you if you um, have a marketing plan and you said you did and but you went you kind of pivoted quickly and went to more of a sales plan. And I actually was going to ask you next, do you have a sales plan? And as I heard this, I, I, you know, I started thinking, you know, well, but the truth is that marketing needs to be kind of serve sales. If these were departments of a company, we would say it's not that marketing is subordinate, it's its own thing and it's designed to condition the audience and sales, you even defined it earlier, is, you know, sort of a one-on-one -on -one set of relationships with with people. It has less to do with uh, audience recognizing you as a brand than it does uh, actually uh, talking with people in a way that closes the deal. But still, um, those two things, marketing and sales, are, you know, marketing and sales are supposed to be really aligned. And it sounds like you're, you're kind of really aligned. Uh, you've got your marketing, your intention with marketing is to, to feed your sales process. And you started describing sort of more of a sales plan. So I want to ask you uh, a question about that. You know, what insights have you really gained uh, about sales. I don't mean from necessarily the Clark Hewlings Fund or, or your time in, in the fellowship or, or your time here as, par, as a graduate student, but I mean in general, what, what insights have you picked up from the attempt? You, you referred to what works and what doesn't work and the ability to ch share those things with other people. What have you learned about what works and what doesn't work? Hmm, let's see. Well, it's easy to know what works if you're getting good you know, feedback and response and, you know, collectors are saying yes and gallerists are saying yes. So what works, what has worked well for me is uh, in terms of, I guess you consider this mostly sales, but, you know, just a lot of networking, you know, in person as well as online, social media and other groups, uh, getting to know people who, uh, who, I, who I would like to know in the art world, who would be fun to know and fun to work with, and who could also uh, you know, help me uh, with getting to my, to my goals. So what works for me is you know, meeting those folks and then you know, developing a relationship and uh, hopefully having you know, something come of that in the future. Um, it might take a while, but uh, when I keep in touch with people in the art world who I think would be nice to work with, you know, usually good things happen or, you know, often enough good things happen. So that's something that's worked really well for me. I have uh, gone to a lot of networking events that uh, didn't really, I felt like I was in the wrong place. I hope this isn't the right thing for me. And then I know the next time I get an invitation to that kind of event, 
to, uh, you know, to, to make the decision that my time is better spent elsewhere. So it's kind of networking, but you have to know where to invest your time because it's a very a time-intensive thing, networking. So you can, you know, for example, I went to a Chamber of Commerce event here in the town I live in in Saratoga, California, and I'd never been to one before, but I met somebody who is a producer of a TV show. And um, not now we're friends, and she's interviewed me on her TV show. You know, I never, I never would have guessed that going to a, you know, a chamber of commerce event would have led to that. But that was, you know, just something really cool and unexpected that came out of out of networking. And I think most most of the time, when you put yourself out there and uh, you know chat with people at these events, something good's going to happen. You know, it might not be that direct and that quick, but something good, you know, often happens. So. Uh, networking works uh, for me. Uh, as long as you stay in touch with the people that you meet, you can't just meet them and shake their hand and then have them forget about you. So uh, that that's important. Um, what doesn't work? Uh, I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, I would say you know just the marketing thing. You know, I've I've sent some postcard campaigns that didn't seem to yield very much. I don't know if over time that will change. So I haven't given up. I still plan on sending one in uh, September and, you know, every every quarter. But, yeah, so far my experience with postcard campaigns has been pretty limited, uh, even in terms of the benefits. But I, uh, I know they're supposed to work and I haven't given up. I'm sure there are lots of other things that haven't worked because I've tried a lot of stuff. You know, it's I find it you know, challenging to get new people, you know, on my uh, email list. Um, I know a lot of artists say the same thing. It's not like you just have a website and you put an invitation to join your list and all of a sudden you get hundreds of people pouring in with requests to be on your list. So it's always a challenge. So I try new things there, new ways to present uh, the opportunity to be on the list, uh, new ways to present it on my website and in person and through you know, offering some uh, free gifts and that sort of thing. But I can't say that I've found the magic bullet with that one. If anybody out there has found the magic bullet and wants to share it, I would love to hear from them. Well, it's interesting that you uh, you bring up networking. Um, you know, I just had a conversation about networking the other day, and it kind of parallels what you said. You kind of said that you've been to some networking groups and it didn't really work out for you, or you didn't really like them. And then you talked about pursuing um, relationships with people that um, you like and that could also potentially help you with uh, your career. And it sounds like that it's sort of like an intelligent but genuine uh, networking versus a, well, I'm networking because networking will eventually produce a result. Uh, and that's what I've heard and understood that works. And that was the substance of that conversation, that if you're networking within your true interests with people you really want to be around, um, then networking starts to pay off. But if you're networking to network because you hope that ultimately it will result in more sales uh, just through the act of networking or you don't really like the people you're with, <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, we've all done it. I mean, I'm not in, recriminating. We've all done it. I've done it for my business. And I'm like, why did I come to this thing? I don't want to be here. Anytime we've ever found ourselves saying that about a party, we were, yeah, that's it. We're doing the fake networking. <laughs> so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, but, you know, while you were talking about networking, Holly, I, you know, immediately my mind, before you got there in what you were saying, my mind was going, oh, the obvious opportunity for her is list building for email marketing. 
you know, um, because, but uh, you mentioned that, well, it's not that easy to get people on your email list. And uh, so I actually, you know, pulled up your website and, and looked, and I'll give you a couple of thoughts after the show that I have just as a former web designer and a, and a full-time marketing strategist. I'll give you a couple of thoughts about it. But I think you're onto something. I think, because you went there too. You just instinctively went right from networking to uh, email list. I think you're right. I think it's just a matter of um, finding the process that, that works well for you. Uh, I want to ask you about, though, something I, I look at in your social media. So specifically your Instagram. Uh, when I go to your Instagram, you've done something a little different here than what a lot of artists do. So when I look at your painting, um, and, and some artists don't like to do this, and some do, and that, it's not that radical, but you know, you've got the full painting, you know, I'll see a full painting, and then I'll see that you've given us a close-up of one portion of the painting, but you've gone a bit farther here. You, you'll show me the painting while it's not finished. You'll show me, you know, the board being gessoed, and then part of the board is covered, and then you'll, you'll go on and on. You'll show the stages, almost, of the work creating, almost like assembling a, a race car. And then you even go so far as, you know, I, there's one picture here where you're sort of assembling what looks like either the frame or, or uh, the, the backing for one of these for a show. And so my, and you've got this interspersed with some other stuff. You know, one thing I really like about yours as opposed to uh, some artists' Instagram pages, which kind of turn me off, uh, they never feature a human being. There's no face. There's no bot. It's just, here's my work. Here's my work. Here's my work. And I'm like, okay, but... Look, <laughs> collectors also want to know who who painted this and what were they thinking. You know, <laughs> you're in these photos. There's a lot of you, and in some cases, there's people. Not in every one, but there's a lot of interesting photos of you, well taken ones, uh, and some interesting ones that involve other people that are you know looking at your work and so on. So I have a couple of questions. One is why do you do this? Why do you show us the unfinished work and the stages and even the work of like framing and scaffolding around it? And how do you get those photos of you? They're, they're not selfies. I know they're not selfies because you can't have both your hands on the painting and also be taking a photo of yourself from behind. Someone else is snapping that photo. So do you have like a partner or an assistant or somebody that, that you've <laughs> collaborated with that they photograph you and you photograph them or what? Yeah. So let's see. Uh, why, why do I show all these in-process uh, shots? And uh and I have them on Instagram and also on Facebook. And the reason I do that is because, uh, you know, through, you know, just through trial and error, I've learned that that's what people seem to be the most interested in. And, um, and so what I, what I've been doing in those places is showing the progression, like once a day, uh, you know, from a blank canvas to this is, uh, you know, the background and, uh, you know, five or six or seven images until I get to the final image. And sometimes detail, sometimes um, even uh, commentary that, oh, gee, I thought I was finished, but I really hate this part of the painting, so now I'm going to go change that part. Um, so uh, I don't mind letting people see the process and where I go wrong and uh, like, that's okay to me. That's just, you know, part of the creative process. And it's the part that people seem to be the most interested in. So that's, I would say, that's why I do it. People like it. And if I want people to 
you know, follow me on Instagram or, you know, be a friend on Facebook, then I have to put some interesting content out there. And the, uh, so how do I get these photos? Many of them will just uh, take myself, I'll pick up my phone in uh, a few times a day and snap whatever is on my studio wall in progress. But also many days I'll take my phone, put it on a tripod, point it at my studio wall and really just kind of my back or the side of me and, and most of the painting, but some of me, um, and have it take a photo every uh, five minutes all day long. And uh, out of that, I get hundreds of really, really terrible paintings. Uh, not paintings, but hundreds of really terrible images, but enough good images that I can use a, a few of them on, on social media now and again. And so it's worth it for me. It really takes almost no amount of time to set it up and then just have it go on automatically. So when I'm painting, I will often forget to pick up my phone and take a photo. Um, I, I just, you know, or my hands are full of paint and I, I just can't do it. So that that helps when I do that. And then uh, sometimes I uh, commandeer my sons. They're 13 and 15 years old and tell them that I need, I need some photos and they'll roll their eyes and they'll, they'll complain, but they'll usually help me out and take some images if there's something I can't do with you know, with either of those. And, and also, I've uh, traded with uh, artist fans. So when I had my uh, solo show at the Trite Museum of Art, uh, I asked a friend if she could uh, come to the museum with me when it was a quiet time and uh, take some uh, video shots of me talking about the painting and kind of doing a walkthrough of the, the museum exhibit. And then when she had a big event, uh, she asked me to come and take photos of her during that event. So, you know, trading off like that has been really great, too. Oh, that's, uh, that's really refreshing. You know, I, I think so many artists are missing that opportunity. They're like, well, if I had a marketing team, and it's like, you do. You know, if you start <laughs> collectivizing and organizing with three or four other artists or five or ten, meeting at the local Denny's, pretty soon you got a team of people that can blog about you and snap photos and take video and, you know, uh, all kinds of other things related to marketing. And you can do the same for them. So I, I love that you're sort of engaged in that artist exchange. Also, I, I love that you've, um, I, I, now I understand what kids are for. I always wondered why people did that. You know, my friends that have kids, I'm like, why would you do that? You can rent a kid for the time it takes to mow your lawn. What do you need him around for the rest of the time? And it's like, oh, in case you need a photo, I get it now. You can just go, hey, get in here, bring the camera. <laughs> nice. But I'll tell you, you can tell, I'll never have kids. I'm not a kid. I'm not a, I, I've taught kids, but I've never, I've never owned or, or you know, had a kid. So um, the, the other thing I like about what you're saying is I think you've hit on something that is a huge cultural force in your marketing, Holly. I mean, uh, if, you, if you get on Netflix and you start flipping through the TV part of it, skip the movies, go right to the TV or Amazon video or something like that, you know, right away you start seeing, wow, an incredible number of these dramas are about lawyers in love, doctors who have relationships, police people and their personal lives. It's all about... Uh, you know, professional people and an inside sort of look. And so you're kind of giving us that. You're showing us an inside look of what it's like to be you and to be in your studio and to make a mistake and to pivot and, you know, back up and redo it and to be transparent about that pivot. Uh, and I, I think that's really interesting. And 
you know, I had uh, another thought, question I wanted to ask you, but I, you know, this is more timely. Something else pops up. See, you talk, I mean, it's amazing to me that you actually, uh, I think a lot of people would be nervous about doing what you're doing, which is uh, posting a photo of a mistake and explaining that you don't like it and you're going to redo it. I think it's brave. I don't think the risk is huge, but I think it's brave. And I think because people are worried about being, you know, what people will think of me. I think it makes you more authentic. I think it makes you more interesting. It makes me want to follow the Instagram page and, um, and, and read the narrative. And the reason why is, you know, I don't personally paint, uh, but I make mistakes. <laughs> and I have to stop and fix and redo them. And I have to acknowledge them and go, all right, so remember that thing I was going to give you? Well, here's what happened. <laughs> and I, I got halfway through and I realized I don't have enough information to do this. And so I need to meet with so-and-so and, you know, you back up and, and restart a part of it. You're doing that out in the open with transparency. Um, and, and so you're, but what you're really ending it is a pivot. I don't like the way it's going. It's not doing what I expect. I'm going to shift gears. And we, you know, if you look at what's happening with uh, the hurricane right now and people um, having to suddenly pick up their stuff and they're getting hit a second time and they're having to move into some stadium, uh, that's a pivot. If you look at, I mean, it's even happening that people's, um, you know, art collections are at risk. They're getting flooded in their basements or they're having to pull them off the walls. Museums are at risk. You know, there's a lot of, there's an impact on the art world uh, in, in Houston and in Louisiana as well. And people are, are having to pivot, you know, all right, what do we do now? <laughs> We've got to have a different plan. And of course we all go through these, um, aspects of our business, which is really what you and I are here talking about is, is an art business where we have to pivot. Um, my question to you, Holly, is have you uh, found yourself applying this same sort of courage and transparency and willingness to just pivot to your business when you're doing something you're going a certain way like this is not working and i i need to shift uh yes so you know all sorts of things i've tried have not worked um so you know instagram and facebook what one example instagram and facebook work for me uh, I'm also on Twitter and Google Plus and Pinterest, um, but they're just not uh, as strong. It's not as strong a connection for me or for the people who are on those social media platforms. So um, I had been investing more time in those, and now I don't. So you know that that was a pivot. Um, but I, I probably put you know a good six months into each of those and decided uh, before I made that conclusion. But, you know, it, it was a lot of work and it didn't lead to anything. So that was a pivot to not invest so much in those and to invest even more in uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. Um, there have been, um, there's been a lot of pivots because I've tried, I've tried so many things. Um, trying to think of another example. I've tried a lot of things with my website you know, in terms of sign-ups, I'm, I appreciate whatever feedback you might have on that later. Um, just a lot of different ways of doing my website, uh, showing, uh, you know, the, the paintings versus available paintings. Do you put prices on your website? Do you not put prices on your website? Do you put a buy now button? Or is it happy to put a buy now button? Um, you know, I've, I've kind of uh, been around those uh, 
questions uh, multiple times, and I can't say that I have any uh, really strong conclusion yet on those. But I, I keep trying. <laughs> That's really what I was looking for is, is uh, you know, what kinds of experiments do you run? Uh, and you're talking about, I mean, we call that A-B testing uh, or, you know, experimentation. But uh, in marketing, we're talking about, um, or split testing, we're talking about trying, does it work better with prices or without prices? You know, do I get a higher, better or worse response uh, if I uh, put the t- put a caption over it or no caption? You know, what what works? So um, it sounds like you are, you're, you're an experimental, you're willing to be experimental, which is great because... Um, it means that you're applying the fundamental thing that artists do, which is being experimental, uh, to the business side of things. Um, and it, it probably, you know, maybe it needs, um, you know, you're, you're documenting it, what works, and maybe it needs to go down a certain path where you can get, you know, more feedback on it. But it, uh, the process sounds uh, pretty solid. I, I wish everybody would do that. I want to ask you a little bit in you know the last segment of our show about uh, Accelerator, the Business Accelerator program that you're in. Uh, we talked about uh, you know your background and, and business uh, in general and marketing and sales uh, and lawyers in love and, and so on and um, and your Instagram page. I wanted to mention that your Instagram page or profile has. Uh, 10.7 thousand followers so that's <laughs> that's a lot that's that's working for you <laughs> love that um, and, and so if you're not following following holly van hart on instagram you probably want to instagram.com slash holly van hart uh, oddly enough right um but but pivoting to the accelerator program which applies sort of to all of this stuff or this stuff all applies to the accelerator program you know you've developed uh, a business plan within the accelerator program or, or a fundamental uh, business proposal and you've uh, sort of tied it to a number of milestones or, or steps. Um, my question to you is twofold. Number one, have you found that breaking it down like that, that, that doing sort of the harder work of, of really getting granular and detailed about how do I get from A to B? How do I achieve what I want to achieve? Has that been valuable? Has that cha- been valuable in the sense that it's changed what you would, what you're doing versus what you would have done if you hadn't? And part B of that question, Holly, is have there been some key results, some things that have improved objectively uh, as a result of executing on on these things? Mm-hmm. So, as part of the planning through the accelerator program. Uh, what I did is I took, uh, for years, I've had uh, some, you know, high-level goals. I, we have five-year goals, for example, and then uh, every, at the beginning of every year, I set out, okay, what do I think I need to do this year to get, uh, you know, move toward that uh, five-year goal? So I've, I've been doing that for some years. What I did through the accelerator program was to get uh, kind of uh, more detailed between those two things, so between the high-level goal and between the list of uh, all the things I'm going to do was, okay, where, from a business and a revenue perspective, uh, let's talk about that here, um, 
where do I where do I want my revenue to come from, and uh, because that's where I should put my energy into uh, you know developing my business. So if I want it to come from galleries, then I need to spend more time with galleries. If I want interior designers, then I have to do more with them. Uh, do I want to uh, participate in art fairs or not? And if I do, I better uh, take more action than I'm taking right now. So I put in this middle level that I have found uh, extremely helpful because it really uh, helps me narrow down where to spend my time and where to not spend my time. So that's, that's, been, that's been good. You know, that, that putting in that middle level just happened sometime within the last six months or so. Um, and many of these are longer-term things. But I, I'd have to say, okay, so I identified that I would like uh, a lot of my business to come through galleries. I, I currently work with four or five galleries. One is actually in Houston, and the gallerist there says she, she and her family are fine, and our artwork is fine. So that was that was nice. Um, lucky for all of us. But um, anyway, so I, I want more of my uh, revenue to come from galleries. So I have been uh, this year approaching more galleries and uh, I've gotten, and now I have work in two more galleries than I did going into the year. And I have commitments from another two galleries for uh, the fall and then in uh, the winter um, and probably a third one uh, as well in the winter. So um, that's working, you know, just, uh, just, I don't know, it might sound silly, but just saying, okay, if you want this amount of your revenue to come from galleries, you need to really focus there. So I, I put the focus in, I identified the galleries that I would like to work with who seem to be a match for my work. Uh, I made a catalog that is specifically for galleries. It's not meant for collectors. It's not meant for interior designers. Um, it's meant for galleries. And I uh, contact them by email and also send them a catalog. And uh, that's been working. So, yeah, that's one, uh, one example of something that's really helped since, uh, you know, I've gotten this coaching through the Accelerator program. Wow, that's that's really profound. Uh, I like how you kind of call it that middle part. You know, it's like bridging the gap between the thing that I say I want and the execution that would be required to do it. I have to start filling in the middle part, what those what those steps actually look like. Otherwise, it's kind of hypothetical. And then I heard you say it's working. You know, I'm, I'm actually getting the thing I want. And uh, that's huge. That's exactly why we're here. So uh, I'm really glad, and I have I have access to your um, your investment grade uh, proposal and your field reports, uh, and can kind of see some of this stuff. But you know, it's hard to uh, for me at a glance to to know um, what comes directly as a result of the program and what was already sort of something you're working on. Like I know I know, for instance, without divulging any of your uh, your personal information, that you're. Uh, your revenues have gone up and your, your MailChimp subscribers have gone up and your, your Facebook and Instagram followers have increased. And a lot of this is a result of some of the earlier things you were talking about, systematically tracking, systematically measuring and testing, experimenting and seeing what's work and working and applying the knowledge. And I can't help but think that that marketing approach of experimentation uh, has also kind of contributed to the way you're approaching your sales channels that you're you're doing it and you're doing the next step but you're also keeping a close eye on what works and what 
what doesn't work. <laughs> you're pivoting. I, I think what you're doing is you're changing the mix of I want to do less of the stuff that isn't working for me and more of the stuff that is, which is, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that Elon Musk and uh, Jeff Bezos and, and the great billionaire entrepreneurs talk about. It is it is center stage. Warren Buffett talks about it. Center stage to our best practice. Pick the five things that actually are going to get you what you want. Dump the other 20. (laughs) So I I just love it. Uh, Now, I have a question for you. So bringing up um, bringing up where people are, you know, uh, I don't think you're yet the billionaire um, painter entrepreneur yet, uh, but you've got a burgeoning and growing career and, and certainly a sustainable career. Um, at what stage is your art career? Somebody just asked you that straight up. What stage is your art career in? Well, I guess I would characterize it as uh, I'd probably point to the galleries that my work is represented in, which is there are currently five galleries. Uh, two of those are outside of uh, California. Um, you know, one's in Houston, one's in uh, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. So I would I would say you know my work is now getting some national exposure through that. Um, it got some national exposure through uh, being interviewed by the Huffington Post. Um, so that was a, a big deal uh, for me. You know, I've won some nice awards, including the one you mentioned in the intro, the the California Statewide Painting Competition, the grand prize at that award. So I think I would point to those things because uh, I don't quite know how to characterize it otherwise, but those are some of the, the key accomplishments uh, in my career so far. You know, um, I find that I'm still not going to let you off the hook, <laughs> so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again just because I know you'll you'll go with me there, and a lot of people would be they wouldn't go with mm, me. Go so, for it. But if you had to give it, you know, you know how we classify things: red, blue, green. You know, I'm more red, you're more green, or I'm in stage one, you're in stage five. You know, <laughs> that could be cancer. We got to be careful. But uh, you know, if you were to do you have, do you situate, maybe you don't think this way, but do you situate yourself in, um, aside from the list of accomplishments, aside from the trophy wall, the resume, do you situate yourself on kind of a shorthand scale relative to other artists? Hmm. Well, you know, those are some of the standard terms that uh, we're all familiar with are, you know, there's the emerging artist, um, <laughs> right. there's a mid-career artist. Uh, and then there's the established uh, artist. I think that's, is that the trio? Um, so, um, I'm somewhere there. Well, how do you feel about that? Um, do you, do you, does that, I'm curious before you answer where you might think you are, how do you feel about those designations? Yeah, I I think, I think it's okay. You know, it's just an easy, uh, easy language to, you know, to let people know or for people to understand where an artist might be in their career. I'm somewhere in the middle there is what I would say without putting a label on myself. You know, I'm beyond emerging, but I'm not as established as I would like to be. So somewhere somewhere in the mid-career space. 
it's certainly more merciful than some other career paths. Like if you're an actor and somebody calls you a B-list actor, I can't imagine a C-list actor. What is, what's a C-list actor? Is that like Joey from Friends? You know, he's a C-list. <laughs> I don't know. You know? <laughs> Sorry, Joey, if you're listening. We love you. We really do. We know you have your issue. Um, but he needs to be a talk show host. That's what I think would be fun. <laughs> but all right I, we're kind of winding down i want to ask you a couple of fun questions uh, i have one particular fun question that we haven't rolled out of the chf uh stockpile in a long time and and so i'll ask that last but before i ask what's next for you holly what's what's in your your next stage or your your near future Ah, well, you ask at a good time, Daniel, because uh, last week was like a, a really exceptionally good week for me. So I can uh, report to you some of the things that happened last week um, that, uh, that answer your question. So um, I was invited to do, I mentioned this earlier, I was invited to do the solo show uh, in Beverly Hills in, uh, early in 2018. So um, the details are not finalized yet, but I'm very, very excited about that. I was also invited to do my uh, very first international art fair. Uh, it's in Asia. It's an important art fair in Asia. Uh, details are still being finalized, um, but I was invited to do that too. And uh, in the same week, I was interviewed to be uh, one of a couple of artists featured in a, a an important art, art magazine article uh, that's coming out in the next few months. So last week was great. Those three things happened, and I'm still uh, digesting those. But those are in my near future, as well as uh, an exhibit in San Francisco, and then one uh, I was invited to, to, to do uh, participate in a group show north of San Francisco in the spring as well. So uh, those are the those are the things that will keep me busy in the next half year or so. I want to see like an Instagram photo where the Olympians wreath, you're holding it up. You're like, yes, it's been, <laughs> it's been that kind of week and year, you know, look at me because it is pretty awesome. I'm, I'm very happy for you, Holly. That's, that's fantastic news. And, and I know that our audience is rooting for you and is going to be checking out uh, your Instagram, I hope, and your website afterwards and so on. So I'm going to ask you the fun question. We'll roll out the trolley and pick from the dessert tray. And, and the one that I always enjoy asking the most and I'm most curious about when it comes to you is this. If you could have one technology or superpower to do something that you're just currently not able to do with your art or your career, what would that powerful technology or superpower be? Mm-hmm. Well, if I could just have an idea for something I want to try from a marketing perspective and then just have it done, you know, push a button. That's my superpower. You just press a button and then the postcard is designed and it gets mailed out exactly on the day you want it to be mailed out and it looks just right. Um, and, you know, the the book that you're publishing gets all put together by some, you know, magic button, just all of these marketing things. I, I actually have fun coming up with the ideas, but then uh, a lot of the implementation is really, really labor intensive. So um, I don't want to take away the idea generation part, but I would like to push a button on, uh, you know, the marketing uh, do now button. um, And that would be my superpower. I would love that. 
There you go. Exactly. Almost like sounds like uh, it'd be nice to press a button and have a lot of little marketing elves come out of the wall and begin making the shoes, so to speak. That's why I understand how like people have kids. I don't know. You know, bring that camera in here. (laughs) Well, you know, Daniel, I I try to recruit my sons to do even more than just take the occasional photo. I wanted them to do some website stuff and videos and um, they refused. Oh, you got to use leverage. (laughs) Don't don't count on it. Don't count on it. (laughs) You know, in my day, a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich cut in triangles would have worked. But uh, I think you just need more leverage with kids these days, those little rascals. I offer them a lot more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been listening to the Thriving Artist Podcast, a feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. For more information on Holly Van Hart, visit hollyvanhart.com. That's Holly Van, V-A-N, Hart, H-A-R-T, dot com. For more information on the Clark Hewlings Fund, visit clarkhewlingsfund.org. And to sponsor an artist with your small but impactful gift, visit clarkhewlingsfund.org slash impact. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Holly. It's been really great having you. Thank you, Daniel. It's been really great talking with you.